1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: It's Throwback
1: Thursday. Hey, everybody. It's time for a Throwback Thursday episode. And this time, we're taking you back to March 1st of 2021, when the incredibly talented Karina Danike stopped by to discuss the Dancehall Crashers' classic ska punk jam, Go! If you enjoy the show, don't forget, we have a huge back catalog of episodes with amazing artists, and even if the episode is a few years old, the story behind the song remains the same, and the conversation is just as good now as when it was recorded. That's what I love about Making Krista Makes a Podcast. I feel like we're creating a recorded history of the stories behind the songs by the people who wrote them. It feels really cool to make this pod, and I hope it feels really cool to listen to it. Let's get to the show. This is episode number 40 from March 1st, 2021. Karina Danike discusses Dancehall Crashers Go.
0: Hey, gang. Today's guest is my friend, Karina Danike, best known as co-lead vocalist for the Berkeley, California ska punk band Dancehall Crashers. Karina is currently the touring keyboardist and backup vocalist for NoFX. Today we take a deep dive into the song Go! from the Dancehall Crashers 1995 major label debut Lockjaw. Karina tells a really interesting story behind the inspiration for the lyrics and I couldn't have been further off in what I initially thought the song was about. We get into how producer Stoker would get the band excited and motivated in the studio and how Karina could relate to his motivational tactics from a cultural perspective. We talk about why Lockjaw was the first Dance Hall Crashers album not to feature a horn section, and my thoughts as to why there weren't horns are exactly in line with what Karina explained to me. So grab your dancing shoes and join us on this songwriting trip down memory lane. Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? I've known you for a long time. I've really gotten to, to, to know you a little bit better the past couple of years because Karina, for the listeners, has been playing keyboards with no effects for probably the last four or five years now.
2: 2016, I think, was my first show with them. So yeah, 2016. Yeah, four years.
0: They now have a real singer in the band besides Hefe. It's exactly. great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a. It's an honor. It's, it really is an honor. It's such a, it's so fun. Everything about it. They're the best. I love all those guys individually and have known them obviously for a very long time and they put out our records and Dancehall Crasher records and um, I've sang a lot on different projects that Mike's been doing over the years including Home Street Home and No Effects uh, backup little you know guest spots here and there so it's amazing it's awesome I love singing with Hefe it's great
0: that's very very cool well Thrilled. of course uh, you know I, I met karina back in the day when she was uh one of the co-front people for uh, the dance hall crashers and we're going to talk about a song today called go that karina wrote it was uh on the album lockjaw that was released uh august 29th of 1995 on 510 records which was a subsidiary of mca records and uh prior to that you had the record now it's either called the old record or 1989 to 1992 i don't know the exact i always called it the old record uh that was on moon ska and you guys had a horn section at that point
2: I knew this and song I knew this question was coming and it was just a matter of time but you go right to it
0: Well I went right to it because I wanted to get it out of the way because I was one of those people and this is an unpopular possible possibly an unpopular opinion no offense to whoever played horns on the on those early recordings and I liked those recordings and I liked those songs but I just didn't feel like you needed the horns. I felt that you know what you and Elise were doing vocally that the horns just, in my opinion, didn't belong. I felt when when I heard Lockjaw, I was blown away. I was like, wow, you know, that was it was really a step up from the previous recording. So basically, the first thing I just wanted to to touch on was: is there a reason why there was such a gap between that first record and and Lockjaw? Was it just trying to find a a label deal?
2: There were a few things going on. So the old record is called the old record with the years in there in part because when we re-released it on Honest Dawn's, you know, subsidiary of Fat, when Fat Records basically re-released it, we added three songs that we had done in this sort of interim period. So the Moonscar album doesn't have Truly Comfortable and these, these three extra songs that we had been working on in that interim. So, you know, we were a band, then we broke up, Uh, There were a lot Mm -hmm. of people in our band. In the 1980s, we had um, a (laughs) series of lineup changes. Let's say, like, pretty much everyone in the Bay Area played in our band. And then we broke up, and and then we had sort of done a little bit of stuff going on in between. But when we... um, reformed we had been playing without horns for a long time like people had quit we'd gone through a series of horn players some of whom you know mike park was touring with us playing horn dean olmsted from let's go bowling did a couple of tours with us at least one with king apparatus we actually had t-bone willie from save ferris came to hawaii with us and played with us on a u.s tour
0: and these guys were all ringers.
2: Yeah, but this is <laughs> Just, like before there were other... I mean, Mike Park and Dean were obviously in, in sort of, you know, successful bands whatever at that point. Right. But, and T-Bone was too, but before that was pre-Save Ferris, you know, the early days. Mm-hmm. And also Matt Morish was, was even playing with us, and he is in um, The Beat now, and he's been in The Beat for years. So so cool. I think we were his first, like, ska band. So we, we were playing with all these people, and everyone... A bunch of people quit or went on to do other things or were busy with other things, and... So we had this period where where we were already playing without horn players. It, it was really d- expensive to tour with so many band members. We didn't have a label. So the reason it took so long in between albums is because we had broken up. Band members had left. We were sort of not really a band for like two years. We had gotten a lot of fan mail from kids after our Moonscott album had had come out. Um, and we sort of were surprised to hear how many fans there were that we didn't re- even realize were were out there? So we reformed in part to do sort of like a reunion show we called it mm-hmm. uh, at Slims in San Francisco, and realized that we had sort of had this fan base that that had developed over the time that we'd been broken up. so yeah. So it was a few things going on. you know we we just kind of reformed after that. and and so that's that the long period of time we did We weren't consistently a band that whole time.
0: It's those vocals. <laughs> it was it was you and Elise. It's the way you are. you guys were flawless. It's the way you harmonized. It just it wrote me. I'm I I'm a I'm a I'm a singer first and a guitar player second. It wrote me in. There was nobody singing like you. Yes, they there was uh female fronted ska bands, but not doing the, the harmonies that you guys were doing. It was just so so good and I always stuck up for you because I always said back that I'm like We're in the middle of this third wave sky revival. Everybody has horns. You got the boss tones You got real big fish if anything they're crazy for not having the horn section They're not sellouts and in my opinion again the horns didn't need to be there I felt like the horns would get in the way for what you and Elise were doing uh, Vocally which was just flawless.
2: Well, thank you so much and and definitely that is that that is the other reason is that um, There were a few reasons so one one was what I just mentioned which was that people were sort of dropping off Anyway, and we didn't really have a full band and we were sort of hiring our friends to step in and do the horn parts. But the other reason was that we were listening to Op Ivy and Jawbreaker and the Muffs and, and a lot of bands, you know, that didn't have horns necessarily were a little bit more on the skater punk side, you know, sublime bands that were sort of like not focused on horns, let's say. And that's some of our influences were sort of some skate punk things at that moment, um, even though you know my roots are in sort of more traditional ska and, and mm-hmm. reggae and that kind of stuff myself also. But then we had these two, two vocal parts that were really busy. We were writing all these crazy harmonies. We were doing a lot vocally and oohs and ahs when we weren't singing the lead and all kinds of stuff happening. And we had two guitar players and we just felt like it was pretty busy already and musically busy and we didn't need this extra sort of addition of trying to fit horn parts in and where would they go and like it was because of the two the dual lead thing that we were doing we didn't feel like it was necessary as much so exactly what you said
0: I guess my instinct was right I, I just I felt that and when I heard Lockjaw I was just was just such a step up for the whole band the the playing and everything and I, and we'll get into uh the producer uh, Andy Stoker uh Graucott because I want to talk about him which is very interesting oh, yeah. uh that's a whole uh, conversation we'll get into in a moment but this particular song go three minutes and 10 seconds great little pop tune set it up for us do you remember where you were when when the idea came
2: oh boy uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> does, does it involve a a, a no, love interest? No, <laughs> no. I just.
2: Oh, okay. That, that was no. The, the, the question is, do I remember? I mean, the thing is, you know, it's like, <laughs> do I remember where I was? No. Like, I'm sorry, I don't remember where I was. This is one of those songs that sort of came about in that interim period where we were, you know, not signed yet to Five One O. An MCA. We were we were in that sort of middle period there. Jason was uh, had been in Downfall with Tim Armstrong. That was sort of a, a band that had mm-hmm. come out of Operation Ivy. So our guitar player Jason Hammond was in Downfall with Operation with a uh, with Tim Armstrong, and and I think he wrote the sort of you know these guitar parts this kind of the structure of the song. And that's how we wrote a lot of our songs is that one of, you know, one of our guitar players, different people at different times, but Jason was always there throughout and he would come up with parts and then sort of present them to to us on cassette tape back in the old days. Um, <laughs> kind of just like come up with a bunch of ideas. And then Elise and I would sort of take them and, you know, one of us might be like, oh, I've got I've got some ideas for this song, and the other one. I've got some ideas for this song. So that one, I think he was influenced. That's that dun 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 kind of major three chord, like kind of hits. <laughs> I think that that's to me. That sounds very Op. Ivy and downfall. It's like bah, bah, we're starting a revolution yeah. here. <laughs> you know, not that that's what it is, but
0: no, it's got that rancid vibe. It's the Matt Freeman, Tim Armstrong thing. I, 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 could, I could absolutely totally see that. Absolutely, and
2: I so I, I kind of think that was musically a little bit of a nod for him to them because you know we th- obviously thought they were they were great and they did start the band. Yeah, which I I'm assuming you know that.
0: I do know that, and just real quick for the listeners. Uh, Tim Armstrong and Matt Freeman, of course, from Rancid uh, and Operation Ivy, uh, were in the first incarnation of the Dancehall Crashers, and that was, I believe, in 1989 that they were a, they were a part of that, and you and Elise joined in 90 a year mm, later, Elise correct? joined
2: before I did, and I don't know if we want to get into the history of that as well, but it's she started, I think um, Tim Armstrong had actually already left. Um, there was a woman named Ingrid singing, and Ingrid and... Elise sang together for a little while then Ingrid quit and my brother was uh, friends with those guys. We, he's in the ska scene too and, and he's a year younger than me and and they would somebody was saying, oh we need a we need a girl singer he said my sister is a really good singer. you should get her. Uh, so so I joined about six months or seven months after Elise, I believe something like that and um, so yeah so so anyway, back to go, which is that it was um, I think a nod to that that sort of like s- that big guitar kind of intro and then where I was I don't remember where I was when I wrote the lyrics but um and the melody but I like I know what they're about and all that kind of stuff but I don't have my memory of my moment but that's where we were
0: no that's fine I guess I'm more going for of course this is uh, I always say on the show is anything pre-youtube we could go out and (laughs) play play our songs to our fans before we recorded them were you playing this in a live setting before you ever stepped foot in the studio
2: this one we were a lot of the songs on lockjaw That's not the case. But this song, this song was there was just a couple of songs on the album that we had been playing previous to writing the rest of the album, Um, and this one in particular was uh, we had done a demo with this song and uh, truly comfortable and a couple of what else was on there? Um, Maybe Othello. I uh, next to you, Othello. Anyway, go. Ended up um, going to Hawaii, and a demo of it ended up being on Radio Free Hawaii, which was a huge like, boost for us. Like They loved us in Hawaii. That was a
0: massive station. <laughs> so influential. <clears throat>
2: so influential, and they totally broke us in, in Hawaii. Like It was crazy. We went there before we did Lockjaw. So I was trying to remember all this. I was like, was it before or after? But um, it became this huge hit there. And that was sort of like another reason that we're like, well, maybe we should look for a label and get this together. Like, I mean, we were sort of there, but we weren't really, you know, I don't think we had all decided that we really wanted to make a go of it at that point. We were still sort of getting back into the band and, and seeing what it was like. So Go was just this huge hit in Hawaii. It was crazy. We went there and like, Everybody recognized us. We had this bizarre, like, Beatles moment, which was completely confusing to us because we have been playing, you know, for much smaller audiences of anywhere else. You can't get arrested six
0: hours earlier in LAX. You land in Hawaii and you're mobbed. Yeah, it was... That's a weird feeling. It's
2: totally bizarre. I mean, everybody, you know, like, the <laughs> this sort of like you'd go into a grocery store and, like, the the guy working at the counter would know you and like all these kind of weird moments of go we went to you know s- the signing signing at record stores and people are like lined up out the, down the block and screaming cool. like it was bizarre it was really really fun just to have this weird moment but <laughs> go go had been we were playing it already so that was already where we were at
0: Okay, so so the song, lyrically and, and structurally, was done before you stepped in the studio. Do you remember when you got in the studio, that, was there uh, a lot of changes? Did the producer Stoker have a lot of changes to arrangement or anything? Or was, was it pretty much what you were playing when you were in Hawaii?
2: It was pretty much. I think our earlier demos had a better sort of more prominent upbeats, and he didn't change any arrangement stuff. Stoker is super awesome, and we can get into him in a minute, too, because... Sure, um, sure. He had a, a really positive influence on us and just on that whole record on Lockjaw. But this particular song, I don't think we did any real changes. There was some guitar, you know, like I said, upbeats were more prominent in the demo version. But I think I don't think we did any any change in arrangement, really.
0: The reason I brought that up, the this is a very different arrangement. And. It's so funny. I, I never thought of this song as having a weird arrangement until I started to really analyze it. It just was one, one of your right. songs. It was, it's a great song, but getting into it, I'm breaking it down, and I don't even exactly know what some of these parts <laughs> are. We're, let's get into that right now. So the riff you're talking about with those hits, the dun-dun-dun at the top, it's, it's a really quick 10-second intro. And I'll tell you, that riff, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, that is just the epitome of a ska right. riff, right? That just screams. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so 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 catchy and so good. And that was something that that, that you said Jason had written.
2: Yeah, Jason Jason had written that, I think that, that that's sort of what I said his influence probably was. This kind of like epic sounding like <mdled sons> you know. And we had two guitar players, so I think they get fun with their upbeats and all that kind of stuff. But that's where that the intro comes from. He he created that sort of that vibe there. For sure that's that's his setup
0: right and we start out with uh basically it's chorus one that starts the song off uh wanna yeah. <clears throat> wanna go with you but i think i'll stay wanna go with you but i think i'll stay <laughs> wanna go with you but i think i'll stay wanna go with you but i think I i'll stay the- and you don't need you don't need anything else there it's
2: catchy as hell okay i have to preface this with like oh god we're getting into the song that i wrote when i was uh what 19 or something or 20. Um, so let's just say, you know, not, you know, not the the best lyric writing of all time, but there, but, uh, you know, I obviously wanted this, ca- this catchy feeling and I, um, I mean, we can get into what the whole thing is about, oh, but yeah. I had moved from, yeah, but like, I know it is weird that it starts with the chorus because when, when I talked to you about doing this song, I was like, yeah. And then I listened back I'm like, that is, I didn't even realize that it really does start with the chorus, which is kind of unusual. Like you don't always do that. Usually, especially... Dancehall Crasher songs. We don't usually start with the chorus. We definitely had like first one, set it up, pre-chorus. There's no pre-chorus. This no, song. no. And there's then there's a you know the real chorus. Then you have a bridge. We don't even have a bridge on this song. So it's it's kind of a weird. It is a weird arrangement for us.
0: Very weird, but I mean, it just hits you right off the bat. The harmonies right off the top. But yeah, it's only one lyric. Uh, you know, want to go with you, but I think I'll stay. And I've had a few people on the show now echo the same sentiments as you of oh I wrote this song when I was 20 and I relate to that I relate when fans come up and they want me to sign the first demo we did or the first seat. I'm like oh Uh, it's just right but I always say that that you gotta think of it, and I have to dig deep. And it's gotten a lot easier over the years that I look at it from a fan perspective, and I know how much those early records of certain bands, you know, uh, Crimp Shrine, fifteen, some of those bands, the, the you know, stylistically and production wise, it wasn't that great, but what those records mean. To oh, me for sure. And what they mean to those fans.
2: For sure, and I and I appreciate it more. As the years go by, I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. and I think that, you know, there is there is an energy that comes with being that age when you're writing that is so important. That carries over these sort of like slight embarrassment about <laughs> some some musical or lyric choices that we were making as young people still trying to figure out how to write a song. Like we didn't know how to write songs. We are still like learning. And, you know, in this section, you know, I wrote all the melody and, and lyrics for this, but I, you know, we would try different harmonies out and definitely we went a lot into unison. And this was one moment I think, you know, want to go with you, but I think I'll stay. You know, it's like, should we do a harmony on that? Want to go with you, but it sounds ridiculous. Let's keep it in unison and just go for it together. Like it's a, ah, I think I'll stay. You know, we mm-hmm. tried a few harmonies and everything just sounded ridiculous. Um, so that's sort of like our coming in together as a as a unified voice there.
0: That's great. I mean, people people for years have been double tracking vocals on records. Why not do it live? And and it seems like you, you, you picked the perfect balance with what to harmonize with. And I know you practiced your tails off. It's evident because I'm assuming 1995 and certainly your first record wasn't to pro tools, right? So this was all to tape. It was all to tape. Which means that again, you had to be rehearsed. Oh, it yeah. wasn't gonna get it wasn't gonna get fixed in post production.
2: <laughs> Absolutely not. And um I'll just say, that, you know, the training that you that you do when you're uh, going to tape and in those years is vastly different to what people can fix now. So I, I also was really anal and I was like, absolutely no way are we going to ever use autotune. Like over the years as we started being able to use it, I was really anal about it. I'm a little more mellow about it now. I just kind of feel like, well, there's little bits and pieces here. Maybe we'll do that. I don't know. But um, at the time, we didn't have auto tune at all. We didn't have any of that kind of stuff. It was expensive or just problematic to use. It was clunky gear stuff. Well, and there's you- some
0: singers. I mean, you're you're really great. You know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of <laughs> No, I mean, mean that. I mean that. You you know that that. Uh, Uh, you you don't need it uh, as a crutch you can if you had to use it as a tool it's one thing but it's not a crutch which uh, as we know a lot of singers (laughs) use the technology as a complete crutch you go see them live you're like that doesn't sound like the record
2: oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah no it's it's a unfortunate thing because people are using it almost obviously too much at this point but anyway but yeah so it was all to tape and elise and i just had this You know, I've I've been singing harmonies for years before that. I know she had been singing harmonies, too. um, But my background is like just I'm a a harmony-obsessed vocalist. Down the line, Toots and the Maytails, Beatles, Althea and Donna, you know, Funboy 3, like all these bands that are just like, to me, the staple singers, like uh, just completely obsessed with harmonies always. So I was coming in with that. And then we, like our first rehearsal I'm I'm really good at blending. I would like to say that about myself. Uh, <laughs> so I'm i having well, just anyone that's harmonized for years, as as you know, of course, as a singer, that that you start to kind of develop, learning how somebody's inflections go, how they end words, how they start words, how they're gonna sure. say say certain words, like. You know, say their consonants, open their vowels. Where, where they're placing, if they're singing like this or if they're singing like this. You know, I have a I have a whole way that I sing with Elise that, that um, I think just sort of formed onto her onto her voice and sort of opened up certain vowels in certain ways. So I I was pretty anal about it. And we, when we first started rehearsing, I feel like it just clicked immediately. And mm-hmm. then this record we did more multi-tracking, but in in um our old record, I remember going in and doing. I think our first song that we were recording together was Keep On Running, which was, it never made it on an album, but uh, we did it together on the same mic, and it was like the very first day, like, let's see what happens, and we were just right on together. Well, uh, yeah,
0: I went back and listened to a couple tracks, I put Nuisance on, and I just was just I was floored, because again, I knew it wasn't done to Pro Tools, I knew this was cut to tape, and it was just great. I saw you live back in the day and and you were flawless live so I I knew you could pull it off here's the first arrangement snafu for me I don't know if snafu is the right word but where it gets interesting it's the same chord progression so the last time you say want to go with you but I think I'll stay it's still going but the lyric changes to it's been 10 years since I left my home and wandered off without you and then it breaks down I'm calling that a post chorus (laughs) or is that the or is that the start of the verse
2: I Yeah, it's funny. I would never have thought this this uh, song was so weird to dissect, but It's a weird
0: one. Is that the post-chorus or is that the start of the verse? I I don't know.
2: I would call it the verse. I would call it the verse because here's the beginning of the story actual storyline like What are you saying Karina want to go with you? But I think I'll stay I'm so confused. What the hell does that mean? I'm totally don't understand Karina
0: But the melody changes and, and the first two lines are still over the chorus guitar progression
2: well, maybe we hadn't thought of any other chords to play. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think you know it's it's the sort of like out the gate kind of chorus, and then and then the more reflective. I'm going to tell you the story about what's happening here in this song. So I, I kind of think of it as the verse. And um, you wrote
0: the song; it's a verse. We're going to go with that. That's it's a right. verse. Don't find getting fight into me. Getting, I ugh, no way.
2: Don't find me on that.
0: Getting into the i'm going to read the whole verse now in context and it's been 10 years since i left my home and wandered off without you has it been that long it's really been that long (laughs) and in the back of my mind i still hear you calling to me shouting to me grabbing my attention so it's at this point i'm going to ask you what was this song about
2: yeah (laughs) so so this song i moved when i was 12 years old i moved from england from Cambridge, which was a small town in in, uh, in England. And my father lived in London, and, and uh, I was living in Cambridge with my mom and my brother. And we moved to the Berkeley, Oakland area. So we moved to the States, emigrated. Totally, you know, big, shocking sort of uh, change in my life just to be now in the States after a very sweet little English uh, childhood. So this song is actually about... You know, it, it just had been about ten years. So it had been ten years since I, when I wrote this, since I left my home and wandered off without you. Has it been that long? It's really been that long. I was sort of like, wow, it's there we go, ten years. Um, and so this is actually, this was actually to, um, a couple of friends, but but one person in particular, I think that it was really focused on, uh, a dear friend that was there, and I kind of felt, and and I and I say this because. <sighs> I don't like some of the intention about this song, but it but it was sort of like this feeling of like being stuck in this small town uh, to a friend that that I think wanted more in, in their life um, and wanted to, you know, maybe do pursue music or maybe pursue some mm-hmm. other things in, in their life. And they had been sort of like not sure what to do and sort of stuck in this smaller town. And I felt a little bit like you need to get out of there and go explore the rest of the world and go explore life or move to London or move out of that small town mentality. So that's kind of what the whole song is about. But this this particular part of the verse or part of the song is, you know, I left and and it's really been that long. and in the back of my mind, I can feel you 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 know I can still hear you like calling to me, shouting to you, like trying kind of bringing me back to that that small town mentality and you're sort of like calling out to me. and when you leave when you obviously when you when you move on your're a teenager, you have a lot of nostalgia about where you left. it's 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 a deep you know, a deep kind of uh, well,
0: especially that culture shock b- back then, Karina, the, the, the world wasn't homogenized. Uh, you didn't have a phone in your face to going from Cambridge back then to the Bay Area had to be just like you were shell shocked,
2: totally shell shocked. Like, I mean, yeah, what the hell is this? Honestly, going to junior high and um, in Oakland schools was just <laughs> Mind blowing, and I mean, I'm assuming
0: you you had an English accent at this point.
2: Oh yeah, I was teased. I would say things like, "Does anyone have a rubber that I can borrow?" You know, <laughs> and people, people would be like, "What, girl? What are you saying?" And so they would be like, sort of, "Huh?" You know, it's like an eraser. Oh, an eraser. You know, like I mean, just like so so many faux pas and so embarrassing. And oh. I just like looked wrong, and I just had this funny accent, and it was really hard. It was really hard. But Ooh. but of course, ah. so as at, at this point when i wrote this album felt like my mom had made the right choice she came to the bay area she came to the states and she was like this place is full of soul and music and art and people can be free to do what they want to do and you know she's a very dynamic both of my parents are very dynamic and artists and real real eccentrics and i think she just was like we got to get out of there and yeah. and this is the place my teenagers need to be which which was totally true. So I think I was like in the back of my mind, I hear you calling me and I, you know, grabbing my attention and like and the wanna go with you, but I think I'll stay is is that friend of mine saying that. She wants to go with me, but she's gonna stay because she's doesn't have the guts to get out or the you know, the, the sort of you know, yeah, just the impetus to sort of like leave a comfortable environment and yeah. and go out into the world. So that's what this song is about.
1: Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with this Throwback Thursday episode with Karina after a few words from our sponsors. Looking
0: to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com VIP slash demakes. And now back to the show. Well, writing this, you know, as a younger person and feeling a little, I don't know, e- embarrassed or <laughs> about it, but that's a pretty mature stance for. Uh, and, and I thought this was a love song. I was completely off the mark, completely off the mark. So I think that's really cool. The the inspiration b- behind this lyric. So verse one into chorus two is the only time in the song that it goes right into the chorus. Right. It's only time. And again, you get four lines of want to go with you, but I think I'll stay, and then it goes right into the start of the second verse, still over the same chord guitar progression. Mm -hmm. Uh, You say you feel trapped and do not see, an answer to the problem. I say you gotta get out, just get up and get out. What are you afraid of? Living, loving, hurting, crying. It's one and all, defend your fate. Your destiny can be. And we'll stop there before I go to the next part. I'm getting these lyrics now, Yeah, after you set it up.
2: right. So that's what they all say, except there's one, one big, not big issue, but one funny little comment here. But so, yeah, you say you feel trapped and do not see an answer to the problem. I say you got to get out, just get up and get out. Like it was just come on, get out of there. Right. And so that's me talking to her. What are you afraid of? Living, loving, hurting, crying. Like you're just, your fears are holding you back. It's one and all. And then this was supposed to be befriend your fate. And that's actually the lyric. However, <laughs> this was a re- weird moment in the recording process where somehow Elise had been, you know, a lot of times we would, one person would sing like all the way through the song and the other person would come and match them and do, you know, overlaying. Somehow she, her part was... um was recorded first and she thought it, the lyric was defend your fate so she put defend your fate which is totally incorrect i was so upset i was like no it's not defend your, your fate it's <laughs> befriend your fate but her vocal was already on there and so we just kind of went with it and i think even in the recording i'm sort of saying befriend your fate like i'm, I'm sort of softening that so it's hard to hear that it's really defend what are you afraid
0: I thought that I was wronged by the internet lyric machine again. That happens sometimes here.
2: No, it's actually that she's saying defend your fate. And the real correct lyric was supposed to be befriend your fate. Like, okay. you know, make peace with your with your future and like, or, you know, befriend what's to come and get out of there and be brave. Um, so that was sort of whatever. Not that big of a deal, but it was kind of funny. It's like defend your fate. That doesn't actually lyrically make any sense to me. So, So there you go. There's one little thing. And then your destiny can be what you make
0: it and that next part what you make it you say it four times and the whole band changes here the whole feel it kind of almost feels like it kind of slows down it gets a little sludgy it's just a different feel for the song is this a bridge or is this a post verse (laughs) or is this a pre-chorus because the chorus is next I almost feel like this is bridge one It's because I always call the bridge the departure and this feels like a departure for me but usually bridges don't go right back into the chorus so that kind of stumps that theory.
2: Uh, I guess it's almost to me like a second chorus although I would say probably let's call it a bridge because it it does happen twice in the song. It ends Mm -hmm. the song, doesn't it end the song? Yeah. So um, in a way to me it's like a sort of Second chorus in a way. It's like, What you make it? Mm -hmm. It's just like a halftime.
1: What you make
2: it? You know, and then that's my big moment to go, What? Hit this really crazy (laughs) high note, which uh, I don't know if you can hear. Which,
0: by the way, I've never told you this. (laughs) You know your your pictures back in the day. You, you'd have your your little dresses on. You you, you both looked great, and you looked just kind of kind of sweet in your promo pictures. But you you looked menacing live when you'd sing. You'd get this scowl, and you would just dig. I remember the first time seeing him, like, whoa, I wouldn't mess with her at all. Did anybody ever tell you that? Oh yeah. Both, okay. Okay.
2: Both, I mean, both, I the funny thing you is, looked, you looked tough. You look tough. I mean, that was definitely what I was trying to portray I mean I not to be like just to put myself back in that time period it's why it's I think would be hard for us to do a reunion because I just don't feel like I'm <laughs> quite the same person anymore it's like but you know I was I was incredibly um and, and Elise Elise is super duper tough if you ever have encountered her which you know all of our um touring buddies have she's she's an insanely strong tough woman and so I think I looked a little meaner because I was doing a lot of scowling on stage, but I think she's probably <laughs> the tougher one of the two of us. But we both have a really strong personality, and I really wanted to be, you know, my the people that I looked up to um, as performers, you know, Bowie, Tina Turner, all kinds of, you know, strong, f- like, performing Musicians and singers is, that I, that I thought were phenomenal. That well, plus you know, the
0: punk rock scene that you were immersed in. I mean, exactly. there, there was some tough dudes that were in that scene. You exactly,
2: know? and you know, a female punk rockers, Susie and the Banshees. You know, there's like kind of like this this you know Debbie Harry. Um, there's this sort of, you know, like, got got to get get your sneer on and be like the slits and like, be, you know, be a little bit of a tough girl. And, and also just to show other women that like, and men doesn't matter just that, that I wasn't a little sort of like wallflower that was ready to, uh, scared to be on there. And I felt, yeah, I felt felt like it was like, we got to fucking do this. Like, come on. And and I also felt like the minute you get on stage, you got to like, you gotta own bring it. it. You gotta bring it and own it and put on a fun show and yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of sneers. That's what I think we. Okay, got- well, I'm
0: glad I'm not the only person that said you I didn't didn't really. I, I wanted to say that. And I'm like, ah, should I say that? But no. yeah, you you looked you look you look tough. Uh, you know, and I made a mistake here a moment ago. I said it goes into the chorus. It does not. So after this, what you make it part? There's a uh, kind of this eighth note guitar uh, chugging comes in for one measure and yeah. then a guitar solo happens and the solo is really cool. It's a little departure comes in catchy as hell
2: kind of rockabilly a little bit isn't
0: it yeah it's got the very very rock and roll rockabilly And then it comes back in, into the chorus. Right. And there's hits here. So it's want to go with you, but I think I'll stay. It's like a hit. And then mm-hmm. want to go with you, but I think I'll stay. And then the band stops again. Want to go with you, but I
2: think I'll stay. Want to go with you, but I think I'll stay.
0: Were those hits always there originally when you played it, or, or again was this something that that, that Stoker or, or anybody brought to that? Do you do you remember if those those stops were there?
2: I think it was one of the final arrangement ideas that we had uh, come up with pre Stoker. I mean, I think it, I think we were it's sort of like coming back, not into the full normal chorus, but want to go with you, but it's want to go with you, but I think I'll stay. Want to go with you, but yeah. ju- 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 you know, this kind of back and forth between the fast upbeats and the and the kind of dynamic stalls or whatever you'd want to call them. Um, I,
0: I really like it. And I, I think it was needed. And it's weird in, in context. Again, this is the third chorus of the song and it's the last time it happens. And after the third chorus, it comes out of that with the stops it comes into a third verse
2: right now right
0: so in the lyric to the third verse is, and you come to me with propositions like you really mean them well i've heard them before so many times before what are you afraid of and then we get some of of the other other verse here living loving hurting crying it's one and all it should be befriend but it's yeah. defriend defend your fate be your friend. destiny yeah <laughs> D- your destiny can be. So the, the first couple lyrics here, and you come to me with propositions like you really mean them. Are you speaking to your friend at that point still?
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm basically speaking to her the whole the whole time, and she, and her voice is, want to go with you, but I think I'll stay. And then mm-hmm. I'm talking back to her. It's been 10 years since I left my home. And then you say you feel trapped and don't see an answer to the problem, second verse and the third verses, and you come to me with propositions like you really mean them, like you're going to get out of that shitty small town and... By, by the way, Cambridge is not a shitty... I, I, I love Cambridge. But, you know, the small town it mentality... It's a, it's a it's beautiful not, city. It's beautiful, but it's not a place to grow into an artist easily. It's, you know, it's it's got its limitations, just like any small smaller mm-hmm. town. It's a nice place to be a child. You come to me with propositions like you really mean them. Well, I've heard them before, so many times before. It's It's, you know, it's just kind of like her saying maybe that she wants to leave there and go you know, be an artist or be out in the world and do other things. And and she's just, you know, I've heard them before, like, come on, get it. Just just make it happen. It's sort of me talking Got- to her again. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. And the, and the song ends with the what you make it part. And here written in my notes, I had bridge two question mark, post yeah. verse question mark, or <laughs> outro question mark. Is this the outro of the song?
2: I don't think it's the outro, because nothing's changed since the first bridge, musically.
0: Good good point. Good point. You're right. You're right. Okay. So I consider
2: okay. an outro, like, the end of, like, He Wants Me Back or something. We go into this, like, sort of, like, back call and answer, like, improv part or whatever, like, vocalese part. <laughs> song it doesn't have what i would structure as a real bridge because it's not that one time departure that i think a lot of dancehall crashers songs we really tried to write bridges like that was a thing like like okay let's really try to write a bridge that really departs from the rest of the song and sounds different we don't have that it's over a lot of the same chords Throughout the song, we don't really go anywhere. This
0: song, I think, structurally is great because it goes by quick. It's three minutes long, which isn't that long. But this song is just, the parts just seem to happen fast. You press play and it seems like it's over. The end of the song, the outro, very outro of just music, is the intro again, but it's only half as long. It's just... Boom. It just... Ends mm-hmm. abruptly and it's mm-hmm. just it's just tough. Really, really like it. Always love this song. I was I was glad that you picked it because it's it's one of my favorites from Lockjaw. I do want to talk a little bit about Stoker because I'm trying to research him. He didn't have a Wikipedia page, and I dug I dug yesterday for for information. And uh, Andy Stoker uh, Graucott originally played in Dexie's Midnight Runners, and for oh. the listeners, they originally did uh, the hit "Come on Eileen," which it's right. just amazing. I didn't did not know. Uh, the backstory of him. After he left Dexie's Midnight Runners in 1984, uh, he formed with English Beat members Dave Wakeling and Ranking Roger, he formed General Public, right. which is just blew my mind. Yes. I had no idea. Uh, Stoker went on to produce artists such as Sting, Ice Cube, but uh, also Ska acts uh, like the specials Let's Go Bowling and of course Dancehall Crashers. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that whole Ska contingency there, is that how you he was brought to the table? Did, did, was he your choice or was it someone from MCA uh, 510 Records.
2: So so MCA was not super involved. 510 slash MCA was um, actually called a joint venture rather than a subsidiary because uh, Jeff Salzman Elliot were were had been managing um, Green Day and the Muffs and Jawbreaker. Mm-hmm. And then they started a label called 510, which was centered in the East Bay. And that was sort of one of the reasons we were happy to go with them because we felt like they really would actually understand who we were, which wasn't going to be the case if we went to just you know, a straight major that like doesn't really understand ska and doesn't understand Gilman Street punk rock, which is where we had, you know, originated and so on.
0: And I got to say something real quick, not to interrupt you, Karina. I feel really stupid. So after 28 years of calling at 510 Records earlier, I, in the episode I called it, that. you said 510, which is, of course, a Bay Area area code. Right. So
2: <laughs> it's the East Bay. <laughs> you, you learn yeah.
0: something new every day.
2: Yeah. So 510 was the, the East Bay um, phone area code so yeah yeah 510 whatever so gotcha. um that's what that's why they were called that and that's what we you know we appreciate it was like yeah berkeley oakland in the house like that's that that's our that's our people you know gilman street and um you know op ivy and green day and all the great bands that were coming out of there so but anyway i don't even remember exactly how stoker came through to us but we had done some research into looking for a producer and I think those guys uh, Elliot and Jeff might have uh found him but yeah his his history and he's you know from northern england so immediately i hit it off with him just as being this kind of like hilarious guy to to deal with um and like the fact that he Really understood what we were doing in a way. Like he's loves pop music like even more than I did. He was like, "Yeah, it's great." He's like, "Come on, let's do it. It's fucking pop. It's fucking brilliant. Come on." Just so like swearing all the time, which I, you know, I appreciate. This is the English thing too. It's like I have to be careful not to swear all the time. But there's
0: such a to this day, you know, you listen to a lot of the records that were made back then and you know, a lot of records from that time period. I love them cuz they hold memories and stuff. But, but sonically they're not that great. Sonically this record holds up, but and there's a youthful exuberance to it. Do you, do you still feel that? I know it's hard to go back and listen to your own stuff, but this record sounds great.
2: Thank you. Um yeah, I I w- I think that it really does. I think that we put a lot of work into trying to keep up this energy. It doesn't sound to me the way that we sound live, which was problematic for us like we were really trying to get that energy that we have live, which we kind of got a little bit closer to on later albums, I think. But you know, having said that and and I'm not totally crazy about uh, some of the mixing and so on, but having said that, Stoker himself was our producer and he gave so much life to this album and he really I think understood this sort of like exuberance that we wanted to get out of it and the pop mentality and his background so awesome. I mean the drummer of Dexie's Midnight Runners another song that like I love but you know by them is Gino. It's one of my favorite songs of all time So he really understood, un, understood the musicality and the, and the background that we sort of were coming to, coming from, you know, and that was huge. And he just, he just had a lot of positive and great little ideas like many little things like no you just when you go to the bridge it's just go for it fucking go for it or stuff like that <laughs> or like take it you know take off with it and things that we really needed to kind of co you know make us feel as a band like oh, okay like let's shift it out of what we, we have a strong you know sort of musical idea but but we needed that extra sort of energy and and, and a slight difference of of where to take things at, at, at times and obviously he's a drummer and he he had great um parts for he didn't come up with like writing very much but of course but he you know he sort of like focused on the guitar players getting because we had scott goodell on this album mm-hmm. um, who was only on this album who's a killer guitar player great musician great singer um and mikey weiss was it was his first album with us as a as a full album, um, so and Stoker just really added so much. Like he understood the ska thing, obviously, which a lot of producers eh, maybe wouldn't. Like sort of more modern yeah. producers, you know. Like if we'd gotten some pop producer, like a lot of you know, like no doubt got great people. But I don't know if they whatever. Just everybody had different different things on major labels that they were dealing with. So so it was a five one zero based. We were coming from a from a, a bit more of a an indie label feel, I think, which was which was helpful, but with some backing.
0: Yeah, well, I I think it sounds great. And and not to overshadow, uh, you know, any of your achievements as a band, but uh, in my opinion, uh, my humble opinion, I think that, uh, you know, the, the rest of the world should have been like Hawaii. You guys deserve to be known so much more. You, 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 the, the band was great. You were great live. Uh, Thank you. And, and I'm really, really stoked that you uh, were able to come on and talk about the song today. Before we go, uh, I'd like, you know, would you like to leave our listeners with anything going on with you solo and your solo projects? No effects uh, or Possibly in the future, Dance Hall Crashers?
2: <laughs> dance Hall Crashers, <laughs> pro- pretty unlikely that anything will happen with that. You know, we're all still on great terms, but we all have our busy lives. And every sure. time we try to do, you know, one little thing that we think we're going to do, like, let's release Honey, I'm Homely on vinyl. Or like, we have these little ideas that we we want to get together and it just kind of falls apart. But, you know, I'm doing tons of work on my own. Um, obviously, I'm, I've been touring with NoFX and and singing on albums with them so we just you know they just released the Frank Turner No Effects split uh uh earlier this year and I mean early sorry 2020 and um I'm I'm just I get to play with them but I'm also which is phenomenal and amazing and and I but also performed on tracks with Mike with that Mike on Home Street Home which is the musical that he's been writing and then yeah. and then I'm also um you know a solo artist so I have my own band which has been on hiatus a little bit but I released um, a self-produced album called Under Glass on my own, which is...
0: I have it. You gave copy a copy. That's
2: right. That's right. So that's kind of a weird combination of musical styles in there. But I sort of got to like, oh, well, I'm going to try all the things I like. You know, a little bit of 50s pop, you know, rock and roll and a little bit of... Uh, that sort of sea shanty stuff, which I hear is a big hit on TikTok right now.
0: There's Um, a track on there that sounds like it was recorded in 1940. And I mean that with the utmost sincerity. It's just your voice, the production, everything about it. You just captured that time period. It's a really, really interesting record.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. And yeah, and I'm just doing a lot of collaboration, like video things with like Mikey and his uke. I just, uh, which has been really fun when you, you know, you get to perform with... uh, Lots of great people, you know, guys from The Interrupters. And um, and I'm also um, – I do, I just did a podcast opera, modern opera, called The Electronic Lover, which is this really bizarre, hilarious um, piece written by Beth Lissick, who's an amazing author, and Lisa Mezzacapa, who's an amazing composer. And it's, like, this – about chat rooms in the 1980s. And it's this weird opera piece that's really modern with a bunch of voices that's, like – very, very difficult to sing. I've uh, recorded that. And I'm, I'm working on a new, and, and a bunch of things like that. I've been doing um, some collaborations with Alex Desert and uh, Jesse Wagner from uh, Hepcat and from the Agri-Lights. Cool. We've been doing some like doo-wop songs. And then I'm, I'm working on another solo thing that should be out uh, this year soon called Where We Met. And it's um, just going to be uh, some covers, but uh, some older jazz tunes and some, some other pop songs I'm not going to tell you What the song list is right now So I'm, I'm always constantly Working on 50 million things <laughs> I would say Good for you Good. Um, I get bored easily So it's nice to, to vary things
0: Well once again Thank you so much It's been, been a lot of fun to, to dissect a go with you today I, I, and, and catch up I appreciate it
2: I do too oh, Shady, oh.
1: Hope you all enjoyed that Throwback Thursday episode. Don't forget to scroll back through the past episodes and fill your day with some stories about songs that you love from the artists that wrote them. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great day.
2: Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.
1: Define an opportunity.
2: Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now.
1: Identify a problem.
2: Creating an audio ad is time-consuming.
1: Offer a solution.
2: Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
1: The Helping Friendly podcast explores the music and fan experience of fish through interviews and deep dives on shows and tours. For more than 10 years, we've created insightful and fun discussions about our favorite band. And with the help of our guests and thematic series, we're still discovering new angles of appreciation for fish. And when the band is on tour, we provide a review of every show the following day. As one of our listeners said, any fish fans that enjoy meandering conversations and incredible insight on new and old fish shows, this is for you, highly recommend. It's not just about the band and the shows, it's about the journey getting there. Throughout 2024, we're going to be running down the top 25 fish tours of all time, and that'll be interspersed with show reviews and regular episodes. Join us and check out the Helping Friendly podcast wherever you get your podcasts.